Welcome to the Everything's Coming Up Marketing Podcast, where we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of marketing and mental health. On this show, oversharing is caring. I'm your host, Amber Rhodes. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining the Everything's Coming Up Marketing Podcast. Today, I'm here with Mallory Mullen, who deals with stress by listening to true crime podcasts and playing with my puppy. Those are two very good options. So I have to ask your true crime podcast preference. What are you, what are you listening to right now? Oh, Crime Junkie is a top one. But if you want something that's also mixed with like laughter and paranormal to kind of lower the stress levels of true crime, then wine and crime or, um, and that's why we drink. I have heard of, and that's why we drink. So they, I haven't listened to it. So my experience with true crime podcasts has either been the really intense, like investigative ones by mm. ABC News or something, or my favorite murder, which oh, is yeah. like maybe the OG. I don't really know. That was my gateway podcast. The gate. That's what I was trying to think <laughs> of. Yep. Gateway podcast. Yep. What is it about true crime that relaxes you? <laughs> I know it's weird. I don't know. I guess like in a morbid way, my life is never that bad. <laughs> but also I just find it fascinating of like why people's minds work the way that they do uh, to commit the crimes, why people's minds work the way they do to solve the crimes, like what makes a case go unsolved, all those things. But then I also have a theory that maybe this is too dark for the podcast, but um, because women are usually the victims, we listen to it more because most women are crime junkies or, you know, murderinos, whatever you want to call them. Um, it's because we like to know what's out there that we could prepare for. I've heard this theory as well, and I I agree with it. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially, well, I'm a very anxious person, so I kind of like to know all the scenarios that are possible. And listening to these yeah. true crime podcasts, you're like, I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't even know that I could die that way. Um, exactly. And, <laughs> and yeah, it definitely opens your eyes to some of the, the worst things in humanity, and then you can mentally prepare yourself. Exactly. It must be because I'm anxious too. I just like to think of all the other ways that I should worry. Yep. There's actually so, yep. so many ways. Oh God. That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your puppy instead. How old's your puppy? He's 10 months and he literally is going through like his teenage phase. So even though he was kind of trained, now he's ignoring everything unless I have hot dogs. Hot dogs are his treat of choice. A drug of choice, yes. <laughs> That's so interesting. I um, I there used to be a program in a city I lived in where you could take a dog on a date. <laughs> so basically, you would oh check out a dog for a day and then go for like some walks and then go get a a puppuccino from Starbucks. And they would always give us cut up hot dogs as a treat to give to the dogs. <laughs> it's kind of gross to feel like to reach in a bag of cut up hot dogs, but they love them. Yeah. No, I have like a tray that I've got pre-cut hot dogs. I don't have to like reach in a bag. That sounds like one of those like close your eyes and try and guess what it is games. I'm not here for that. That sounds fun dating a dog. Okay. That sounds horrible, but like going and doing the day experience with a dog, I guess. Yeah, it was really nice. It was nice to get the, to get them out and kind of see their personalities. And I have my own dog as well. So when I got home, he would just sniff and be excited (laughs) there's another dog scent yeah what kind of dog oh I have a beagle um he's like a beagle mix 
all brown, oh. no, not a tricolor. So he doesn't look like a classic beagle. And he's basically a lump that lives on my couch. <laughs> Beagles are so cute. I love their like long ears. Mm-hmm. They're I like, like velvet. Ears. I think that if I could, you know, honey, I shrunk my kids. Are you yeah. of that generation? Yeah. If I could be shrunk like one of those kids, um, I would want to be able to sleep under my beagle's ear. And that's Ooh. like the full, honest, weird thing that I told you just now. <laughs> like I would oh, love wow. to be able to sleep right under his ear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess it would be really soft and super warm and nothing else is going to get you in there. So you're totally safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would just smell weird. Yeah, just wear like a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or put some like some kind of nasal spray in your nose. Love is nose blind. Yeah, exactly. Is this your first puppy? Uh, one that I've owned, yeah. My family had schnauzers growing up, but I haven't had to train one myself. And it's it's a lot of work. Do you, Does it feel fulfilling or are you just kind of like, mm, I can't wait until he's over this? It depends on the day, honestly. Cause some days he's worse than others. He likes to bark a lot. So it depends on like how crazy he goes. But I think it's nice like getting to see like his little reactions to things and like what makes him go so crazy and then try and control that a little bit. So he's still happy, but not shrieking about it. Yeah. And so you dropped this tidbit of information, which I did not know about you, but you live in Ireland, which seems like a very good place to have a schnauzer. I don't know why. It just seems like they would fit in really well. Yeah. You're not alone. They're literally, I, I haven't Googled any stats, but I'm pretty sure they're the number one dog here. Like everyone has a schnauzer. It's very weird. It's like the dog of Ireland, even though they actually have dogs like only from Ireland, like the uh, Irish wolfhound, mm-hmm. but there's way more schnauzers. They're everywhere. Irish wolfhounds, uh, are massive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they they're actually like, were used to keep wolves away. Yeah. Like they're really tall. I think, I don't know how big they can get, but I've seen some in, I think they were supposed to be puppies and they were like nearly up to my shoulders standing on all fours. So like standing on two legs, they'd probably be taller than me and I'm five foot four. Mm-hmm. Like moose dogs. It makes sense that the schnauzer would be the Irish dog rather than the Irish wolfhound that yeah. doesn't fit anywhere. No. They're so cute, though. You should come to Ireland, then you can see all the schnauzers. It's honestly on my list to go to Ireland. So um, I have a dream. I just got married, so I have a dream, a honeymoon of going Congratulations. to... Thank you. Going to Scotland, like yeah. really remote Scotland, and Ireland as well. You should. You can get the ferry... Well, it's kind of pricey right now, but you can get the ferry over from um, somewhere near Glasgow and come over to Belfast and then drive down. I would love to. Oh, I'm scared of driving uh, on the other side of the road. I don't blame you. The roads are actually really creepy. Yeah. Do you drive? Yeah. But I only just got my UK license because um, I live in the UK part of Ireland, but I got my license last summer and it took me like 10 or 11 years of living here before I even attempted it because I was so scared of roundabout roundabouts get me. I'm so scared of them. Yeah, it's for me, it's the turns. Um, I can't even visualize in my head how, what is it? A right turn is essentially like what our left turn would be. I just can't visualize it and I can't imagine driving it. But you're brave. Yeah. You're brave for doing that. 
I'm scared to drive when I come back to America to visit because I haven't done that yet. So I might just like not drive because I'm too afraid I'd go the wrong way and like go in the other lane with like oncoming traffic. Mm-hmm. That's we'll what I'm you don't hear from me again. I just didn't make it back from America. <laughs> <laughs> you visited the U.S. What took you to Ireland from the U.S.? My husband. We were pen pals. It was like pre-Tinder, pre-most normal things now. We were like pen pals on email. And then I was like, hmm, I'd like to go over there. I like Harry Potter. <laughs> I have nothing to do with Ireland. And then um, ended up going to college over here. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's an amazing story. So you met, you exchanged emails, you you moved across the ponds. What has he done for you? <laughs> Stayed with me, I guess. <laughs> Dealt with a puppy. Yeah. Well, I am going, so, I mean, I'm not actually kicking us off because we've been talking now for a while, but I am going to kick you off with a question that's been on my mind. Hey. How you doing? How you doing? I love that. Um, I'm okay. I wasn't doing too great. I mean, I'm one of the people that was laid off. I'll start with that. You know, layoff crew. I feel like we're more than the employed at the moment, to be honest. Um, so I wasn't doing too great about a month ago. You know, anxiety has been crazy. Imposter syndrome and all those things. Um, but I'm getting better. I've been doing a lot more journaling and I went to New Zealand, um, for two weeks this past month. And that helped just to go to another place, you know, warmer weather, step away from normal life, stop interviewing for a little bit and just breathe. So. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that you got laid off. Um, it's, it's an epidemic right now with the marketing folks just, yeah. It's, it seems like it is affecting marketing at kind of a really high rate. And yeah. are you finding any support in your community of marketers? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, LinkedIn, there's been loads of people in there. Um, I'll be honest, the whole LinkedIn community thing is a little smaller for people in Europe. The U.S. ones seem to be a way bigger community. But then um, I'm part of Demand Metadata's um, Slack community. And in there, like, there's a women in marketing channel, and it's just total support. Like Christina, who was on here with you, she's in there. She was giving me advice. And Kaylee, who's all over LinkedIn. I'm sure you've seen Kaylee. Um, people like that are just really supportive, um, giving each other advice about what they're seeing in their interviews and negotiations and advice and checking red flags, all these things, which has been really great. What's been the most stressful part about your new job search? Uh, the market's crazy. Like anything that you expected in like pre-2023 interviews and things are the opposite. Like somebody the other day was mentioning that she has 20 years experience in marketing with like loads of different industries. Um, and somebody told her she needed more industry experience. So they turned her down, which makes no sense. Yeah. And then like, there's so much more ghosting. Um, I was turned down for a job because they wanted to give it to a director job at a B2B fintech company because they wanted to hire a junior B2C person just to see what would happen. So it's just, it's like the wild west. <laughs> that is like the wild west. How are you taking care of yourself with all of this craziness? 
Yeah, I mean, anxiety obviously is very high. And then there's ebbs and flows of imposter syndrome amongst all that. Um, but I've been doing a lot of pottery, like I told you earlier, um, and going outside a lot more. And then I have started weight training as well. So, you know, lifting weights to kind of relieve any extra stress is really helpful because you kind of get some aggression out. Even if you don't feel like you have aggression in you, you can just, you know, get it out in the form of lifting really heavy things. I agree. There was a period of time where I did weight training, kind of like CrossFit, but not true CrossFit. And there was something that made me feel like such a badass. Even if I was had like the teeniest, tiniest little weights, I was like, oh, I'm such a badass because I'm lifting, lifting things, dropping them on the floor, grunting. <laughs> They're like yeah. playing Creed really loud. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like because you're not progressing in your career at the moment, you can progress in other things. So it's like the you know, you feel like you're improving yourself in some kind of way. And honestly, for health, I need to improve that anyways. Um, so that's been really good. And then you get the endorphins and you get to, you know, get out and chat with other people and stuff too, because I'm still mostly in my house because of just Belfast. <laughs> yeah. Um, for pottery, have you been like the whole wheel set up, throwing pottery, making bowls? What are you doing? I tried it, mm-hmm. um, but I've been doing like air dry clay at home. You can get like these really cool kits that started from some companies during COVID. And so you can get it all sent to your house or you can like go to like groups nearby and you just make everything on a table. Cause I was inspired by the great pottery throwdown or whatever it's called on um, it's a UK show. I recommend it. Um, but it's basically like just a big pottery off by people who are like amateur or like potters that aren't famous or have like a mainstream job for it. And they just go on and make crazy stuff. Like one one um, competition they had to do was make um, a working toilet out of ceramics. Yeah, it is cool. Oh so that goodness. kind of stuff, like doing pottery, trying to do, I, don't, I haven't made a toilet, obviously, but, you know, focusing on that, it just clears your brain because when you're so anxious, you just have so many intrusive thoughts constantly. But when you're trying not to screw up making a bowl or something, that's all your focus. So it's really good for you know, a calming day. Yeah. And do you double down and listen to a true crime podcast while you're making a a bowl? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I listen to audiobooks when I'm trying to do, like I have a watercolor workbook and I do have some air dry clay I got from, um, it's like Play-Doh brand, but just anything tactile, I like to pair with listening to something that's kind of relaxing. Mm. I love that. So this, what was the name of that show? The Thro- uh, Great Pottery Great Throw? Pottery Throwdown, I think is what it's called. Oh, that's right up my alley. One of my favorite shows is the Bake Off, great British baking uh, show. Yep. Yeah. It's very similar, but pottery version. And the, ho- or like the fun host that they have is um, Siobhan, uh, I think her name is McSweeney. She's the nun from Dairy Girls. Oh yeah. She was on an episode of Bake Off. <laughs> She's the host of the Pottery Throwdown, and her Irish humor is hilarious because she just basically yells abuse at them, but in a funny way. She's like, you're all horrible. Hurry up. But it's like funny in the way she does it. It's not, I don't know. You just need to watch it. It's very good. Yeah. What a what a skill to have to make someone laugh and kind of like laugh at how bad they are at something, <laughs> yeah. but keep it light and fun. 
Um, yeah. Have you ever seen the show Nailed It on Netflix? I feel like maybe. Is it a cooking show? It is. It's like they, it's amateur bakers who are really not very good bakers at all. And they were given the most complicated cakes and cupcakes to replicate in a very short period of time. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I love those. It's so funny. They really are bad though. <laughs> They're so bad. But what I think I like about it is that it's um it's people doing it just for the hell of it and they're just having fun and there's yeah. no expectation that they're going to be great like no one's crying which is a big problem on a lot of at least american cooking oh. shows people try things they cry they mess up you know but it's just like okay i'll try i'll try to make that caterpillar cake i don't care yeah i always love when they really don't care and they just produce something they know is bad because they just can't be bothered yeah they're like ta-da you're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I made this for you. Like what effort did you put in for me? <laughs> exactly. And then I think the judges do a really good job of what you said Siobhan does. It's like, like that was really terrible, but also let's have fun and have a laugh about it. Yeah. Well, Siobhan does it though, because like they're good. Oh, It's like talented people competing against other talented people. Some <laughs> are obviously the least talented, so they do mess up a bit and get booted off, but Everybody just has fun with it, but then she just really takes the piss out of them all and is like mm. just mocking them and things. And then she's like, I could do better than you. And obviously she can't. She doesn't know pottery. So it's so funny. <laughs> you got to keep them humble, though. Exactly. The Irish way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> could you tell me a little bit about. So you expressed that you were having stress from layoffs which makes a lot of sense um mm -hmm. but can you tell me a little bit about your mental health journey and how how that has affected your career up to this point or how you're gonna handle mental health for yourself going forward as you try to find a new job yeah I mean the journey has been a journey Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been easily stressed, but one of those people that dealt with it really well, um, you know, that like seems strong or like doesn't show that I'm stressed. Even right now, like I'm anxious and I'm decided I usually wear turtlenecks on video, but I decided not to because this whole thing's about mental health. And so mm -hmm. being nervous, I break out in like this beautiful red thing. <laughs> really lovely. Um, but you know, I've had that forever and throughout my career, it's kind of like the more that I learn or the more expertise that I get the more imposter syndrome I get, the more anxiety I get, and the more intrusive thoughts that kind of combine the two constantly, which is so bizarre. Um, and so in the last few years, like even right before COVID and things, I started just getting a lot more anxious. Um, and it just, I don't know if it's almost, you know, being in my thirties and all that, but it just kind of is a constant now. So I'm learning to deal with that, which has been a journey of its own. Um, recently started taking medicine. I've tried therapy those sorts of things. But one thing that I have kind of learned over the last year is journaling actually really helps a lot. So writing things down. Um, I know Christina mentioned that she talks out loud to herself. I tried that, but I really, I just find, I laugh at myself if I do it. So writing actually helps me a lot and focusing on, you know, pros and cons lists or um, a lot of the times if I, if the journaling doesn't help, then I have like friends or different support groups where I'll be like, 
is this actually just completely irrational? Or even my husband, like he knows he can be completely honest with me. And it's not like trying to make me feel better, even though he is nice about it. And I'm like, am I crazy right now? He's like, yes, that is, you know, that actually doesn't make sense. Like that is just your brain attacking you. And I was like, cool. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so easy to, to, unless you externalize, you like step outside of yourself in some way, which it sounds like you're getting better at. It's so easy mm-hmm. to just believe these lies that we tell ourselves. And I don't know why, like, I don't know why I still have not figured out why myself, like why I'm my harshest critic. And then I believe myself because I'm often wrong, (laughs) you know? So why do I trust myself to be right about this? Yeah. I've also like, I still struggle with it, but I've kind of trained my brain in in work mode at least where, you know, like you're like, oh, somebody's going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing in this, but nobody's ever told you that you're doing it bad or that it's wrong or anything. So now I've kind of told myself, unless somebody tells me this is wrong or not what they wanted or not the direction, I can trust myself and just continue with it and ask for feedback. But like, you know, not have these like fake thoughts in my my head of they all secretly hate this and, you know, all those kind of things that creep in when honestly people probably aren't even thinking about me. It's that kind of thing. It's so bizarre that your brain does it. Two of the biggest realizations that have helped me, and I think that they came with turning 30. It's like you turn 30 and then you have clarity in a couple of things. And for yeah. me, it was no one's thinking about you. They don't give a shit about you. And two was no one else knows what the hell they're doing. They actually don't. We're all just guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And also because, you know, in the last few years, mental health is becoming less and less taboo. You also learn everybody else has it too. So you can bond over the fact that we're all shitting ourselves and like freaking out that, we're all fake or whatever, when really we're not. We just, our brains are just, you know, trying to attack us when really we're doing totally fine and we should be comfortable and confident in the fact that we're doing okay. It's like the more you do okay, the more your brain thinks that, you know, something's going to go wrong. So you need to worry about everything. Yeah. Like it's a trap. Mm-hmm. There was um, kind of that realization because of COVID forcing us to be in our houses and not see people. Um, More and more people did start to understand. I think that mental health is something that needs to be taken care of and talked about. Yeah. Um, And then for me, that felt like I could talk more about my mental illness because sometimes I conflate the two mental health and mental illness. Mm -hmm. Sis, I have two (laughs) diagnosed and it always felt like it was safer to talk at least a little bit about mental health, like, oh, I meditate, you know, stuff like that, but not to talk about medication. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily to talk about talk therapy, especially if it's like a consistent thing that you feel that you need to go to. Have you felt the same way that it's more open that you can talk about medication and therapy without judgment? Um, yes and no therapy. Yeah. I feel like everybody, I feel like not everybody has a therapist or they've, you know, they're, it's fun to kind of figure out what kind of therapy have you tried? Like, I feel like that's becoming like a new trend, which could be both good and bad medicine though. I feel like is very different, especially I've heard very different things about medicine in the U S versus over here. Um, like in the U S you know, there's stereotype or rumor or whatever you want to call it, where, you know, everybody's medicated too easily for everything. Uh, not just mental health, but in general. But then over here, 
everybody's kind of anti-medicine because it's like, oh, Americans are medicated for everything. We don't really need to take meds for everything. Um, But like I said, I have actually only last month decided to go on um, anxiety meds just to try them. I'm still figuring out if they're working for me or not. But for me, it was the right move. And it's kind of like everything else. Do what's best for you is my opinion. And, you know, if you want to tell other people or suggest it to other people, great. They might not listen. But, you know, also don't force either therapy or something on other people. Um, the therapy thing, I've had bizarre therapists. <laughs> like, nobody tells you, they're all like, oh, you should try therapy. And that's great. Nobody tells you there's like a million types of therapy. And if you're trying to figure out which one to start with and why, and then like over here, like you can get recommended by your, the NHS, which... I guess it's the same in America. I don't know. I'm like the most useless American. I haven't lived there <laughs> most of my adulthood, so I don't know how things work. But, um, you know, over here I've tried talk therapy, which my friend in the U.S. does it, and her therapist actually talked to her. Mine was literally this lady, and she was like, okay, yes, yeah, so um, I'll talk to you this first session to learn your story, learn about why you want to come here. But then I won't talk the other sessions. And I thought that was normal. I would, li- I swear to God, I would literally show up. I tried it for three months because like, I'm going to give this my all. Every week for three months, I'd go to this lady's house. Um, a lot of places are run in houses here, by the way. It wasn't just like this random lady pretending. <laughs> and um, I'd go to her house and she'd be like, she'd just stare at me and expect me to start talking. And then I would kind of try and ask questions because that made me so nervous I was like I feel like I'm under pressure like what do you want me to talk about she's like just whatever comes to mind this is for you um you'll just say things and it'll help you come to terms with whatever and I'm like well I could do that at home I could literally talk to a wall and come to terms with things out loud rather than her so that wasn't for me Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's for many people but it was very bizarre um so I've kind of put the therapy on hold for a little bit I don't like the sound of that at all like um (laughs) uncomfortable silence first of all like that is the definition of uncomfortable silence not comfortable silence I don't see how that could help and then you're right it's like why I don't know do you have to pay like why would I pay if I could just or why would I take the train if I could just uh stare at a brick wall and get the same response yeah I was having to pay because it wasn't covered by the NHS and I was like well it's therapy it's obviously important I'm gonna do it yeah, no, not that ever again. <laughs> no. But you but are right. listening and you do that and it works for you. I'm not shaming you. I'm not like judging. But for me, that was a really weird experience. Yeah, I do apologize if that is something that you really enjoy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for me, it's um, potentially like a worst nightmare to just have to talk about my feelings without any sort of validation or response. Yeah. W- would be very hard. Um, yeah. But yeah potentially it works for some people. And I think that you're right that if you've never done therapy before, it's almost a shock how many kinds of therapy there are. So I've only really Mm -hmm. done one type. And when I did that one type, I didn't know that there were other types. So I did cognitive behavioral therapy. Like you have Mm -hmm. negative thoughts and it's figuring out how you can acknowledge that those are negative thoughts and then turn around and make them positive, essentially. Like it's oversimplified. But there's, I was talking to someone the other day about EMDR. I don't remember what it stands for, but it's like something with your eye movements and helping to retrain your brain to not react to um, stressful situations in the same way. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like 
there's so many kinds and I'm sorry that you have that bad experience with yeah. the brick wall lady. Yeah, it's it's fine. But I was like, I'll take a break from this for a little while. So that's why I've tried all the, the hobbies, the journaling, medication, all those things. Tell me about your journaling. Is there a specific approach that you take? Is it like a gratitude journal or do you just kind of whatever comes to mind, you sit down and write it out? Yeah, pretty much whatever comes to mind. Sometimes I'll add, because it's just a blank journal, but at the end, sometimes I will say like a prompt that I'll like, I'll Google different prompts or something. And so it's like, you know, five things I'm grateful for, or what do I hope to, you know, have in my life in the next few months or things like that, that are more positive. Um, But really just sitting down and just a brain dump of literally for 10 minutes, whatever comes to mind, just letting it go on paper. Sometimes I'll write things and not even really think about them much before they're on the paper, which is fascinating. Um, but then it it really does help like get the stresses kind of out of my brain and put them somewhere else for a little bit. Do you do it at the beginning of the day? Yeah, I've tried it both the beginning and the end of the day. And the morning is a lot better because it kind of sets me up to like, okay, any of these like negative energy or negative feelings that I'm having, I can, you know, start fresh a little bit. Obviously, it doesn't always work because I am an anxious person, but at least some of the things kind of stay to the side and I can just progress throughout the day on whatever's new, which is nice. That does sound really nice. I have this idea of journals or diaries, like, dear diary, today I feel bad. And talking about (laughs) like every single experience that you've had that day. Um, And I am endlessly fascinated by the idea of journaling but every time I've tried I've not been able to do it I have like four journals that maybe have three entries in them each and it's been yep. hard to keep consistent so what what is keeping you consistent um I'm not always consistent I'll be honest there are like sometimes I'll go a month and forget or just not do it but when I am consistent, it's literally just because I know it's helping and I have a routine. But my problem is I do really easily get out of just a whole day routine. So then if I don't have time in the morning and then I skip it, then I'm not going to do it at all that day, that whole thing. But what's helped is setting a routine. Also, reading before bed has actually helped me feel more clear headed in the morning to process those feelings and stuff in a journal. So if I have that um, and just kind of I look forward to it. So that helps. But I was the same. I had like drawers full of really pretty notebooks that were just empty. I still have a lot that are empty. And I was like, oh, I'm totally going to journal. One time I even bought like stickers for it because I saw people would like design their notebooks with stickers and things and prompts. Then I had like a gratitude journal where it had the prompts in it. And I was like, no, I just really need to have a blank page, do whatever works for me, figure it out. And that was a good place to start. That's it's great that you found kind of your your system. I know that for me one of the biggest blockers that I have is that I feel like if I put it on a page like ink to paper it has to be interesting. <laughs> but it's just for wow. me like no one's ever going to see it. So like it has to be interesting or important or insightful. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it doesn't. That's kind of goes against the purpose of the kind of journaling that it sounds like you're doing. Not that it's not insightful and interesting and important, but well, it's probably not. <laughs> yeah. You're just, you're letting all your feelings out. Yeah. 
I was kind of similar though. The reason I didn't like the like pre-created like gratitude journals or whatever you want to call them is I felt like there was pressure I had to answer those questions. And maybe I didn't feel like that that day or they weren't bothering me or it didn't help with whatever I felt like I needed to kind of process it in my mind. So just having a blank page, doing what I want and just telling myself, I don't have to read it again. It's just going to literally sit in the notebook, probably get thrown out at the end. That helps. So I literally just think of it as like a brain dump notebook. Yep. Yeah, I like to think that, or I like the idea that you could just like throw it away or burn it <laughs> or do anything with it. Cause I never want to read my thoughts again. Like there's nothing no. about keeping a diary where I'm like, oh, I can't wait in 20 years to see what I thought. Absolutely. You know, not, that's not for me because nope. this brain is not to be excavated. Like we're just, <laughs> we just live in the moment here. <laughs> I've heard of people where they'll like, I guess it's just in a notebook, but they'll write down like journal and however they want or write letters to themselves or others they're having issues with and never give it to them and then light them on fire and like obviously let them burn. And then that's their way of like it like mentally unblocks whatever it is they're trying to process. That sounds really cool. I'd probably end up lighting my house on fire by accident or something, but that could be something as well. If you didn't want to read it and you didn't want it to exist, just burn it. Yeah. I think you've inspired me to try journaling, but I'm not going to buy a new journal. Like that is my challenge to myself to just use the one I already have. Yeah. That's your homework. Use a pretty one you already have. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about how you're approaching going, finding your next job, knowing that you, you struggle with your mental health. You want to make sure it's the right fit for you, right? But it's it's kind of a jungle out there, as you said. So what strategies are you taking to make sure that you're being selective and that you're prioritizing your health and your mental health? That's a really good question. Um, I am being very, 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 I'm trying to be very um, focused on any red flags or gut feelings. Sometimes a gut feeling in an interview with an employer is enough to say this isn't for me. And I've ignored those in the past. Um, so I'm trying to really be good about that. Um, and trying to, you know, depending on the company's interview process, if it doesn't include a lot of people within the company asking to meet other people, just so then I can get a feel for the culture, because meeting one or two doesn't represent all the people you're going to work with or, you know, how the company is. Um, and then apart from that, just finding things that I find exciting. Like, you know, I really, I mean, even though I was just laid off from a startup, I'm a startup person, so I'm still looking for startups. That's not going to change. Um, but being more clear on the stages of startup, um, what they currently have, what they don't, and then how that would impact it, like the hours that I would have to work, because obviously startup hours are going to be crazy, but some are crazier than others. Um, and just going about that, it's not so much like, oh, I'm going to find my dream job or something. I don't think my dream job exists, <laughs> but you know, finding really cool people to work with a product that actually is a solid product and people really fucking need it. That's really great to market. Um, and then, yeah, just checking my gut, checking red flags and making sure that I'm not going into something that has a toxic culture or, you know, horrible people or all the horror stories you hear of all these other places. I think going with your gut is so important. And with time you learn you learn that that's true because yeah. sometimes you 
you're like, oh, I'm just being paranoid or I'm overthinking. Especially if you're an anxious person, it's very easy to talk yourself out of trusting your gut. In my experience, it's been very easy to talk myself out of that. Um, and then with the clarity of time, <laughs> my gut was right the whole time. Yeah, no, 100%. Because um, like any job, you're going to be in it for a while. You don't want to ignore your personal feelings going into somewhere and then immediately hate it because you're not going to be motivated. And then your mental health is just going to get even worse because you're constantly struggling with why did I choose this? why am I doing this? Like all these things and you feel more trapped. Yeah. What are some of your red flags that you think are maybe should be universal red flags? That's a good question. Um, I mean, some easy ones are like, just, I mean, I think Christina said this as well, um, but how they treat you in the interviews. That's a big one. Um, but then the more people you meet in a company, how they describe leadership or if they joke about, oh, because I mean, startups, yes, you wear many hats, but if they constantly mention, oh, you're really going to have to wear many hats here, or I hope you don't expect this kind of thing here, like these resources or whatever, if that wasn't explicitly described positively for, you know, this is how the company is, this is where we're at. And it's just a constant like joke, kind of like when you're having a kid, I don't have kids, but when people have kids, like, you better get sleep while you can, you know, those kind of things. If that comes up a lot, then that company probably has a really bad culture. Um, I'm trying to think. The other one is just if they keep dragging all the interviews out and you have so many, like 20 interviews for one job. And then at the same time, they never explain the company to you. That's a red flag that they just constantly want from you. They want more information. They want more of your time but it's not like a trade that shows that when you join them, it's probably going to be a nightmare. Yeah. I sometimes think about interview interviewing, like dating. Um, and then if they're, they keep like asking you out, like, right. But you're not getting yeah. anything from it or you're, yeah, you're not getting anything from it. The conversation's bad. Like they're not nice to you and they don't text you. Why would I keep mm -hmm. going? Exactly. Yeah. Are you, are you running into situations where they're asking for free work from you when you go through interviews? Yes. Yes. Presentations is basically a full-time job and presentations have always been there. Like that's not anything new. Um, and you know, I've, as somebody that hired people in most past jobs, I've asked for presentations, but I've always asked for them to be pretty short or they've traditionally been like a very short 30, 60, 90 day plan or, one aspect of like a campaign or something like that. Now they're like, here's a full brief. We want a whole strategy. We want a strategy within a strategy for this one specific channel or this one specific thing. What tools would you use? Who would you hire? Like how much budget would you need? Um, how would you go about like setting these things up? What's the process you would have? What, what kind of messaging would you do? Like literally every detail. And they're like, but just keep it high level. <laughs> okay. Don't get too in the weeds. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. And I understand for some startups, you know, they want to make sure they're hiring the right person as the first marketer. Fine, I get that. Um, but some companies that are a bit bigger and they're hiring like that, and then they don't hire certain people, it kind of makes you think, are they just, you know, taking ideas, getting free work out of people that are already 
really struggling with mental health and, you know, just life in general because they don't have jobs and they might not be fortunate to be able to afford to be off and they're just playing around with it. Yeah. Getting free ideas and free work out of people. I think it's something Mm -hmm. definitely to be cautious of because it's, you want to believe the best in this process and show up with your best, but that also makes you, you're like at your most vulnerable as well yeah. to be taken advantage of. Yeah. A tip that I have kind of formed, maybe this is a mainstream thing. It is not a tip. Everybody does it. I don't know, but I'll do the presentations in Google slides and I'll send them the shared link. And then if I don't get the job, then I uh, take their access away, which they might've downloaded it by then, but at least it's some kind of, you know, blocker from them to stealing people's ideas. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as much as you can protect yourself as possible, don't don't send something that they can download um, yeah. right away. Like no PDFs or anything. Exactly. If you could give advice to someone about mental health and marketing right now, what would it be? Um, I think the main thing is be valid in your own feelings. Like your feelings are valid. Just sit with them for a bit and just then write it out. I think that's the biggest thing is feel them, you know, really think about them, you know, embrace it for, you know, maximum a day. Don't do it for like a week or a month. Um, And then just write it out and try and move through it and figure out what positives you can actually get out at the end of it. Um, And then also be a bit, depending on your situation, you know, like we said in this, a lot of people have these issues or, you know, also feel anxiety and imposter syndrome and everybody feels stressed. So anybody you feel comfortable with talking about it, do. Yeah. Um, Whether it's at work or outside of work, if you can find Mm -hmm. that person who just kind of lets you vent. I'm always looking for someone who will let me say, or who will say that sucks. They'll let me say whatever I need to say. And then they'll say that sucks and not try to fix it for me. What about you? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, my husband used to try and fix it and now he's kind of, he's amazing, but he's kind of like, do you want a solution or do you want me to just, you know, be here? And I was like, can you just be here? So he doesn't automatically offer a solution anymore, which a lot of men do, which is, is great. It's how they're programmed. Um, but that's also where journaling's good because the journal can't give you a solution unless you write one and you try and figure it out yourself. But, you know, writing things down, it's all you, it's how you want to process it. And then you can go to people when you know what kind of reaction they do have. Mm-hmm. Do you think that journaling is helping you get through your job search right now? Definitely. Yeah. It, like it helps you kind of process any gut reactions you are having of like, is this actually a gut feeling that's bad or good? But it also just lets you kind of process even deeper. Is this role for you? Is a company for you? What do you like? You know, is this the right move kind of thing? Mm-hmm. You're getting more in touch with your actual feelings about it because there probably is a little bit of a, a honeymoon or like that initial crush, like it's like of the relationship where you're like, oh, that, yeah. that company is so cute. <laughs> I hope that it likes me too. Um, but then when you start to think deeply about it, you're like, actually, this is a red flag or I don't like the way that they Mm -hmm. handled this, but it's hard to drill down into that when you're 
so much you want a job, right? Like you just want a job first. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy or it's, it's not easy. It's harder to like, not just jump at a job sometimes. Yes. Being more mindful. Like that's something I'm trying to do with my career. And it does feel very hard because I kind of, I mean, anything after 2008, (laughs) I just felt like, oh, I'm lucky to have a job. I'm Mm -hmm. so blessed (laughs) to have this job. Uh, Other people would be excited to have this job or I need the health insurance. There's like all of these things running through your brain that keep you from kind of going into a job search clear headed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because you kind of panic at the beginning and then you're like, because we're trying to buy a house and then other people have different things. So it's like, oh no, now we can't buy a house. We have to rent for another year, but then the rental market's crazy and we might get kicked out of your house at some point, but it's fine. I'll take my time and find a job. So it kind of goes between, you know, I want to make the right move but at the same time. I really need a job right now. So it's kind of this weird dance you're doing to try and figure out what your life is. And what a metaphor for marketing as well, where it's like long-term thinking versus short-term thinking. I'm going to do yeah. this paid campaign or I'm going to focus on organic. <laughs> Just to bring it back exactly. to marketing a little bit, because this, I like to say that this is a show with marketers, but it's not really about marketing. Um, yeah. It's more about the people behind marketing, but you know, we'll touch on marketing every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I just haven't talked about marketing a lot in this. That's kind of my goal, if I'm being totally honest, where I was jumping on calls with other marketers, just just to chat. And um, we would ask, like, how are you? And I'd be like, I am struggling. And we would just have the same kind of stresses. And then I realized why, like, we kind of need an outlet for stuff like this. It doesn't always have to be about what campaigns you ran, what kind of copy works best, like, we're also humans and we also yeah. need to talk about our, our feelings. Yeah. I mean, I've felt it really refreshing in this podcast, not hearing or talking about what channel's dead right now mm-hmm. or, you know, if you don't do this, your marketing career is going to fail. If you do this, you're going to be like an all-star in two years, all those things. <laughs> that. That is one thing about marketing that I don't really enjoy is it does seem like there's a lot, there's black and white thinking from especially creators, not calling anyone in specifically out, but like do this and it will solve all your problems. Don't do this. It'll solve all your problems. But then when you're in the day-to-day of marketing, the answer that you'll get most to your questions is it depends. (laughs) It always depends. Do you find LinkedIn like overwhelming sometimes just scrolling through your feed, seeing all those posts and then they start to contradict each other, but you're doing something different as well. And you're like, oh no, I think for me, that goes back into mental health. Yeah, actually I found myself in um, full transparency. I'm taking a full mental health week next week because I've just found myself being like very angry all the time. Uh, My job is to be on LinkedIn quite a bit because I do organic social on LinkedIn. And I would read through people's posts and I'd just like be grumbling like, this isn't how you do that. And this is not what you said a year ago or everyone's like doing cold plunges. And I was just getting so angry at like how people do talk in the black and white terms as if something's going to solve all your problems. Um, So yeah, it 
being inundated with all of these messages about what works, what doesn't, um, has really affected my mental health, especially lately. Yeah. hundred percent. I don't know why I've been on LinkedIn for years, but in the last, I'd say since Christmas, it's just like, I'll go through phases where I can't check it. Cause I know if I do, I'll just get extra anxious or, you know, just automatically think I don't know anything I've ever known. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that too, where people reveal like they did an experiment and then it, um, it solved all their problems. And I think another problem too, is like people will tag you in or they'll share things and they'll do it in a kind way. But then mm-hmm. it's like, sometimes you feel like you have to defend why you don't do these things that someone else has done that's worked for them. Because like, like I said, it depends, it all depends. And so much of marketing, good marketing, I believe comes from being able to tap into that gut feeling, which is why I think it's so interesting that you like to do journaling to kind of process your own gut feelings, because that can only make you a stronger marketer, right? I hope so. I do the same with marketing. I agree. Everything depends. Like I was asked in an interview today and they were like, what playbook would you bring in? And I was like, well, there's not a playbook. I'm not going to come from one company and just say, here's everything I did. Let's do it. It's like, like not just a gut feeling. It's also a data feeling like what works here? What doesn't, what makes sense? Like just cause you see it on LinkedIn or this person in your board said it doesn't mean that it's going to work here and that you should do it. Like that's the thing that bothers me is they do make it seem like everything that these creators are doing can be applied but at the same time. And I don't think people talk about this enough, but the creators also have like huge budgets, big brand names, like connecting with other big brand names and huge budgets. And then you're a marketer in a startup with like, I don't know, 50 grand for a year. You can't get the same tools or have the same team or have the same whatever. But if you're comparing yourself, then you're going to be like, well, I'm just a shit marketer. I'm just, you know, completely useless. They're going to find out I'm horrible. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this. And then you just kind of spiral. So it's healthy to learn things and get other people's opinions, but it's really unhealthy to be on LinkedIn for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. I think LinkedIn, sometimes we forget that LinkedIn at its face is social media. And if you know anything about social media, it's that people are only showing pretty much their best selves. So they're only showing Mm -hmm. you the thing that worked for them. If they show you something that didn't work, it's probably not something that totally crashed and burned, you know? <laughs> so mm-hmm. that that is a perspective that I think I lose sight of. And maybe that's why the past few weeks I've just been so mad, scroll, like just truly anger scrolling. I totally get it, though. Like I went through that last year, just being really angry not just at LinkedIn, but a lot of social channels, like everything. It was like, I'm just so tired of people acting like everything's great. Everything's working for them. Everything's this and that. And you just want to see real things. Um, And obviously even reality TV isn't real. So you can't even turn to that anymore. (laughs) Like, (laughs) So I I totally get it. It's, It's a weird, it's a weird time and a weird place to be when you do have, you know, anxiety and those kinds of things. And you're trying to filter them while also absorbing all the information that we get these days. Yeah. Too much information. There's yeah. My brain has too much information and I feel like all the time, which for um, someone with generalized anxiety, like you already are processing at like way higher rate. Just everything is going through my brain all the time and then yep. have access to so much more information. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. 
news travels so fast. It's just, it's just too much. I'll be honest. I don't check the news. Like I can't like, it's too much, especially like between all the different countries that I'm like connected to or just the world. Mm-hmm. Can't add that on to it, but that's why I highly recommend journaling. It can't tell you anything. It can't put anything in your brain. It'll help like help you take things out. Yeah. I think I'm going to take um, a page out of your journal and try oh. journaling. <laughs> I'm going to try journaling myself, see if it helps me get in touch with my emotions. Do it. And I don't recommend sitting and talking to a woman who doesn't talk to you. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) That's so interesting. (laughs) I'm going to be thinking about that probably for like a couple of months. I'll just come back to that story and be like, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? (laughs) Yeah. It's called talk therapy, which I found really ironic. (laughs) listen therapy (laughs) yeah it's like talk at me therapy like where I talk at them yeah I think traditionally my thought about therapy is that you talk and then people give you tools to process your emotions and like homework and it's like it's actually an interaction um Mm -hmm. yeah I feel bad that's what I expected yeah and I was like (laughs) Maybe I got that from TV. Maybe that's like the TV therapy and I'm just completely wrong. But no, I'm pretty sure I wasn't wrong. (laughs) I don't think you're wrong. And I think that um, you were right to stop going. But if you're interested in exploring true talk therapy, maybe you have to try a couple more people to see if there's like a good one for you. Yeah, I think I will at some point. I'll just let this one kind of filter out of my system first. It's hard that um, when your therapist doesn't click, especially if it's like your first time ever going, mm-hmm. it's hard to forget that and to to feel like mm, it's safe. It's safe to go back and try someone new. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you dread going, I think mm-hmm. that's another gut sign. Don't go. Mm-mm. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> Typically, I would ask um, a guest for advice to another marketer, but I feel like your advice would be start journaling. Is that correct? Yeah, start journaling. And I guess the advice, even though we've talked about it a bit, is also don't give up on startups just because the market's crazy. Like startups are still some of the best experience you can have. So in the marketing side, even if you're anxious, even if you have imposter syndrome or any other you know, um, mental health things, startups could actually be a really good place for that because you connect more, I think, with people in those than corporate. I mean, corporate people don't at me about this. Just my theory. I've worked in a few, but I feel like you can engage with people and find people with similar things in startups and also have way more impact, which gives you a lot more fulfillment. And I could talk about it all day, but don't give up on startups just because the market's nuts. Yeah, I agree. I think there's also more of a mentality of... um flexibility and being able to try things and fail failure is is an option for a lot yeah. of s- startups where you're just kind of testing it out because no one really knows right at the yeah. beginning what works and what doesn't so and and then the bigger impact is huge for me I, I love that feeling 100 percent. and to wrap us up can you tell me a joke yeah I did write one down because me telling stories from memory is horrible <laughs> Um, so why did the scarecrow get a promotion? I have no idea. Because he was outstanding in his field. Oh man, I made that joke the other day with a cow. (laughs) Oh, okay. 
I live in Kentucky and I was like, that cow is outstanding in its field. So I'm uh, mad at myself for not for not knowing that answer. That's a great one. I love it. I think it's amazing. I love a pun and a dad joke. I won best dad at um, one of my last companies for the Christmas awards. Really? Yeah, because I tell so many dad jokes at work. <laughs> <laughs> what a skill. Do you put that on your resume? I should, but maybe that would go against me in this market. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> if it's the true I'll just you. I'll probably get to hire me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I am giving you a soapbox for the last 60 seconds. <laughs> Is there anything that you want to promote, share, talk about in these this final minute? I feel like I'm on hot ones, like camera here, here, and here. I, that's one? what I, I'm emulating. Like that, if there Love is it. a great interviewer, it is Sean Evans from Hot Ones. And oh, if yeah. listeners have not watched Hot Ones, you must. Yeah, Hot Ones, I guess, is another passion of mine. Um, <laughs> what am I promoting? Um, nothing right now. But, you know, if you want someone in the industry to talk about mental health, you know, reach out. I'm pretty friendly, I think. Um and if you need advice on, you know, knowing if a startup is good or not, I'm happy to kind of talk through those things, let you know if it's normal, if it's not normal. I don't know everything, but I've been in quite a few. I can tell you if that's an actual startup or if it's just a very crazy place. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. Well, great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too.